Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular Continuing Medical Education Podcast. Join us each week to discuss the most pressing topics in cardiology and gain valuable insights that can be directly applied to your practice. Welcome again uh, uh, to our audience here. My name is Malcolm Bell, the Vice Chair of the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine. And with me here today in our continuing series of interviews with the experts is my colleague, uh, Dr. Jake Jenser, who's an Assistant Professor of uh, Medicine and a, uh, a CICU consultant is where he spends most of his time and, uh, and conducts uh, you know, most of his uh, research focused on the CICU. And, and for those of you who are not really familiar with CICU, this is the cardiac intensive care units, uh, uh, formerly known as a coronary care unit. And I think the differences uh, will probably become apparent uh, during this uh, discussion. So welcome, Jake. Uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, it's a pleasure to join you, and I appreciate your uh, taking the time to speak with me. So as, as I alluded to uh, in the introduction, you know, we're really talking about a cardiac intensive care unit rather than coronary uh, care unit. And maybe you could just spend uh, a, a brief moment just uh, explain to our audience why, why we're, we're going to see CICU mentioned, uh, particularly in the literature now, much more than CCU. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that's been very exciting in the practice of uh, cardiology is to witness the evolution of our intensive care unit from the traditional coronary care unit, which was designed and implemented for care of patients with ST elevation MI, uh, to what, what we have now, which is a very complex, multidisciplinary intensive care unit that cares for patients with a very broad array of both acute and chronic cardiovascular disease, many of whom have um, multi-systemic critical illness, organ dysfunction, and uh, frequently complex comorbidities. Um, indeed, we're actually seeing fewer and fewer acute MI patients in our cardiac intensive care unit because uh, primary PCI has become so effective that we're caring for many of these patients safely on our telemetry floors. Yeah, so maybe only the minority of patients in the CICU now may be actually acute MI patients. So with that said, uh, then I, I think our listeners will be perhaps you know, surprised at some of the complications that you're trying to prevent. Uh, you know, typically, we're talking about preventing arrhythmias and shock and you know, what have you. But So what are the common and preventable complications that uh, you're interested in in the CICU? Um, so really, what, we're, what I'm going to talk about today applies both to the CCU as well as uh, many other intensive care units. And in fact, the types of complications we're seeing these days really overlap quite a bit although the cardiac intensive care unit population is a bit unique in certain ways. Uh, the real complications that we worry about the most in no particular order are infection, especially healthcare acquired infections, uh, bleeding, which can have uh, many possible causes and often is exacerbated by the different antithrombotic drugs we need to use to treat cardiovascular disease, acute kidney injury, uh, which is a particular challenge and is increasingly common, delirium, uh, which is one of the most uh, difficult medical conditions to care for in my experience within the intensive care unit. And then the general post-intensive care syndrome, which uh, is multifaceted, but often inc includes a very substantial component of ICU-acquired weakness. And these are uh, all very common and probably increasingly common and are seen in other ICUs as well. Yeah, those are really important observations, and, and certainly as someone who's you know worked in CCUs you know from you know three four decades, and uh, to now be working in, in the CICU now and uh, trying to deal with delirium and ventilator issues and infections, uh, 
you know, it, it's really you know, very, very different to what we saw before. So let's just talk about infections for a moment. Uh, what are the common healthcare associated infections uh, that we want to prevent and, and how do we prevent those? Healthcare acquired infections are a big problem. Um, it's been a, a point of emphasis from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And so uh, many hospitals are really focusing on this. Um, really, there are a wide array, but they all essentially come down to um, infections related to uh, invasive procedures. Um, common ones that we worry about a lot would include uh, catheter and line associated bloodstream infections, which can affect uh, also potentially mechanical circulatory support devices. And that's a very unique um, problem in the cardiac ICU, of course, uh, as well as catheter-associated urinary tract infections, ventilator-associated infections, such as pneumonia, as well as um, development of uh, other localized infections by uh, multidrug-resistant organisms, which are unfortunately increasingly common in our intensive care units. And finally, uh, uh, Clostridium difficile-associated diarrhea. Uh, all of these are um, potentially preventable. Uh, infections that predominantly occur as a result of medical care and really preventing them is essential. So Jake, you know, th those are really important observations and uh, very important information. So, you know, if you were to give your top three pointers, you know, to uh, residents in terms of, you know, when you're teaching them on rounds, how to prevent uh, these healthcare associated infections in the CICU, what would you tell them? So I would say the top three most important things are actually hand hygiene, hand hygiene, and hand hygiene. And that's something that I do try to model myself uh, for the residents as well as all of our staff. And that's something that is crucially important. Um, the other two particularly important uh, points are to minimize the use of any sort of uh, invasive device as much as possible. Any non-native uh, non uh, plastic item the patient wasn't born with is a potential nidus for infection. So I always try and to uh, try to remove or limit the use of central venous catheters, urinary catheters, et cetera. Uh, and finally, uh, whenever these are necessary, using meticulous sterile technique during the insertion and care uh, is essential, regardless of what device you're talking about. Okay, thank you. you know, Jake, uh, you recently co-authored a scientific statement from the American Heart Association uh, entitled The Prevention of Complications in the Cardiac Intensive Care Unit. Um, published in circulation earlier this year, if I'm, I'm not mistaken. And, you know, just reading that, it's very interesting. I think you know, our listeners really, you know, should be directed to, to that, but they'll be surprised that, you know, there's not a lot of cardiology complications or cardiac complications that, that are there. And, and uh, of course, you know, one of your uh, main interests I know is uh, the uh, identification and uh, you know, prevention and treatment of cardiogenic shock. And yet this document is dominated by ventilator management, delirium, as you've already mentioned, and you, you wonder uh, whether the modern day cardiologist is equipped you know, to, to deal with that. And you, could you speak to that? Uh, because you know, we should point out at this point that you, know, you are board certified in critical care medicine as well as cardiology. Yeah, you know, thank you for bringing this up. This is something that is extremely important to me, um, both as an individual and as part of a, a growing cardiac critical care community. I think that uh, the complexity of our patients has grown leaps and bounds, even during you know, my uh, time as a physician. And I think that uh, the uh, many cardiologists do not feel comfortable operating in the, the current high-level cardiac intensive care units that, were, that are uh, open at tertiary care centers 
um, like Mayo Clinic. And I think that uh, there's a lot of different approaches to providing the complex care these patients need. Um, you know, personally myself, I feel comfortable managing all the different aspects. That's what my training uh, has, has given me. But at the same time, uh, certainly collaborative care models where uh, providers with different backgrounds work together to provide comprehensive care have been very successful. But I think the key thing is that um, any provider who's working in the cardiac intensive care unit could benefit from reading this AHA scientific statement, which really, I think, does a terrific job of summarizing the current knowledge of uh, best practices for intensive care. Much of it actually is derived from non-cardiac ICU populations, but it's still equally true. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, patients with cardiogenic shock, for example, so especially those with cardiac arrest, uh, often have um, the need to be on a ventilator. They may need multiple invasive lines. They may have multi-organ failure. And really those are, are things that uh, the other intensive care units, medical intensive care units have been uh, working with for many years and have uh, very good best practices that we should also follow in the cardiac intensive care unit. Could, could you expand on that, uh, Jake, just in terms of what those best practices are for, for ventilator management, you know, these patients who are intubated? Absolutely. Um, the Society for Critical Care Medicine has um, really been really been advocating for what they call the ABCDEF bundle, um, which is uh, an acronym that honestly I have a little bit of trouble remembering the individual parts of because they're a little bit interesting. Um, so A stands for assess and manage pain. Um, this is very important on a lot of levels, particularly the humanistic uh, practice of medicine. You know, we do a lot of uncomfortable things to our patients, and it's crucially important that we. Uh, treat their discomfort to the best of our ability. Um, this the B stands for a spontaneous breathing trial, which uh, should be paired with what's called a spontaneous awakening trial. There's a lot of terminology here, uh, but what this really means is that every day, at least once, the patient's sedation medicine should be turned off long enough to let them wake up. And when they wake up, they should be given the opportunity to uh, breathe on their own on the ventilator to assess their readiness for extubation with the goal of getting them off the ventilator as soon as possible. Um, C has to do with the choice of analgesia and sedation. There are a lot of different options and uh, some of them such as uh, long-acting benzodiazepines are associated with longer durations of ventilation and more delirium. And so typically we try to avoid those in most circumstances. D is delirium, which I mentioned before, and it's not just um, treatment, it's really more about monitoring and prevention because there are no great treatments for delirium once it occurs, but in many cases, non-pharmacologic preventive measures can actually avoid development of delirium, and that's essential. E is for early mobilization, um, which is a crucial part of preventing ICU-acquired weakness in this post-ICU syndrome. Um, in many uh, institutions, including Mayo Clinic, we often will ambulate patients uh, even as they're on the ventilator. And this keeps them strong. This also actually helps them get off the ventilator sooner. And F is last, but definitely not least important, and that's family engagement. Um, it's in, essential to uh, view the, uh, the family as really in a, um, as a component of the care team. Um, we have a lot of difficult decisions to make with our patients, and they may not be able to speak for themselves. And it's really essential to uh, work with the family so we can make decisions in our patients' best interest, taking their goals and values into mind. We haven't talked about uh, analgesia. I mean, many of our patients uh, do experience pain. Uh, do you want to say a few words about uh, management of, of pain in this context of preventing complications? Absolutely. Yeah, you know, pain is 
very, very common in ICU patients. Uh, most of the studies that have looked at it have actually found that it's undertreated. Um, in most cases, we're going to try and use a combination of uh, short-acting opioids uh, as well as um, non-opioid analgesics whenever possible. In many cases, um, our, our nursing staff has a, a wide array of non-pharmacologic options that really help patients. Um, but the most important thing is to ask patients. And if they're not able to speak for themselves to you know, look at their facial expressions, there's a lot of ways to assess pain. And just because someone's not able to speak to you doesn't mean that they don't have pain that needs to be treated. So this is definitely one of the crucial things that we always think about. And one of the first questions that we ask most of our patients as we visit them in the intensive care unit is, are you having pain right now? Is your pain control good enough or do we need to do better? So you mentioned earlier about uh, the, the multidisciplinary uh, team. Uh, so who exactly uh, you know, constitutes this multidisciplinary team? That's a great question. One of the best things about working at Mayo Clinic is having the opportunity to collaborate with a really wide array of uh, phenomenal colleagues. And in the ICU, this has uh, grown into actually some fairly large multidisciplinary teams uh, that, despite being so large, actually provide more efficient and better care. So when I round in the cardiac ICU, um, my team often includes myself, at least one fellow physician, sometimes two, at least two and sometimes three resident physicians. Uh, we also have advanced practice providers, such as nurse practitioners and physician assistants who join us as well. Um, we round not only with our unit charge nurse, but also individually with, with each of the bedside nurses. Um, as we round on each patient, uh, actually the nurses lead the rounds, uh, which helps us focus on uh, the patient's needs, uh, which we all agree has been very beneficial. Um, we also have the luxury of rounding with a very experienced cardiovascular um, pharmacist. And in many cases, uh, we try to round with our respiratory therapists as well. And we often, and we also get input from uh, many other services, including our physical therapists, social workers, dietitians, as well as uh, the many subspecialty consult services who might be involved in our patients. So you can imagine we go around with a team of sometimes 10 or 12 patients, um, but it's, it's really terrific because it allows us to bring experts in all of the different aspects of patient care right there to the patient. Even, you know, not necessarily specific medical disciplines, but things that in some cases are even more important um, for prevention of complications. You know, our physical therapists are the ones that help coordinate early mobilization um, and, and these really crucial steps. Um, and I think rounding with the pharmacist is uh, terrific. With their expertise, we often are able to um, avoid medication errors, reduce the consider, you know, reduce drug interactions that could be harmful. And they are also advocates for antibiotic stewardship, which uh, makes sure that we don't overtreat patients and promote uh, antibacterial resistance. Yeah, that's certainly been uh, my experience as well, and uh, you know, incredibly valuable members of the team. Uh, and although not under you know, CICU complications, the other uh, group that you know we interact with frequently. Uh, I think it's fortunate, but also sadly, is, is the palliative care team, uh, which is so important in, in so many of these patients uh, uh, you know, who have very complex uh, diseases, many uh, end of life uh, issues uh, to deal with. So, you know, clearly the landscape has changed, hasn't it, over the last you know, 10, 15 years or so. And I, and I hope that, that, uh, that this discussion we've had today, Jake, you know, will help uh, um, really emphasize how complex our patients have become, uh, all of the comorbidities that they bring with them, the complications that uh, we need to be on the lookout for, and then to treat if they actually that they do occur. Um, 
and it's very clear that, and these patients are older as well, but even the younger patients, you know, there's no easy patients in, in the CICU anymore to look after. And as you mentioned earlier, the STEMI patients are usually managed elsewhere as sort of step down services and never step foot in the, the, the CICU. So I, I, th I think this is really fascinating. Um, and again, I, I agree with you. I think that people will learn a lot uh, by uh, reading that statement that uh, you've uh, uh, co-authored. I, I think there's a lot of very valuable information there and it really uh, you know, emphasizes you know, so many things there that, uh, uh, and addresses them, the, the things that we see in a day-to-day -day, uh, practice. And finally, I think it, uh, uh, this discussion and really I would hope would help inspire our younger uh, trainees you know, to just think about you know, careers in cardiology. And this is one of the, uh, the more difficult uh, your paths to follow, but it's also one of the most rewarding. Um, and certainly th there's an increasing need for, for the expertise that you and uh, many of your colleagues who, who uh, both cardiologists and uh, critical care uh, boarded uh, individuals uh, you know, provide the, uh, the, to our patients, that service to our patients. So I, I don't know if you want to, if there's anything else you want to, to mention before we wrap up here, Jake? So I just wanted to uh, thank you for the, you know, time to speak with you, but really I wanted to emphasize that cardiac critical care for me has been a tremendously rewarding career. Um, you know, we work at this sort of apex of complexity of patients. Uh, it's never boring. Uh, and we really have an, an opportunity to intervene in uh, life or death situations and really, you know, push things in our patients' favor. And I think that, um, you know, we also get to really experience the humanistic side of medicine and to provide support for um, families going through complex illness and really help them in a way that um, is very, very unique and uh, very special. And so I, I love working in the intensive care unit. I love working at Mayo Clinic. And certainly if I can inspire anyone to consider that as a career, um, then I'd be more than happy uh, you know, about that. And certainly people can feel free to reach out to me um, you know, if they're considering a career in this field. Thanks, Jake. You know, this has really been a, a very interesting discussion, and uh, I'm sure our listeners uh, appreciated the information that uh, you have uh, passed on to us. But uh, thanks again for all of your uh, help, and, and thanks for joining us today, as well as our, our listeners. It's been a pleasure. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to share your thoughts and suggestions about the podcast by emailing cvselfstudy at mayo.edu. Be sure to subscribe to the Mayo Clinic Cardiovascular CME podcast on your favorite platform and tune in each week to explore today's most pressing cardiology topics with your colleagues at Mayo Clinic.